Sunny 16 presents everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy safford and on this episode i'm excited to be speaking with eric aka conspiracy of cartographers who many will know from the author lens podcast eric how are you doing i'm doing very well how are you <laughs> i'm awesome thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share some of your insights on music and photography yeah yeah i good luck <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I should probably also say, I think I first became familiar with you and your work from being on Sunny 16. And since this goes out on the Sunny 16 Presents feed, I yeah. feel like I should welcome you back to the Sunny 16 multiverse. Well, I, I appreciate that. I haven't heard from the, the regular Sunny 16 guys in a coon's age. So <laughs> I'm not even it. sure they remember who I am at this point. <laughs> so your first appearance was really early in their run i think back in 2016 yeah and, it was like episode 40 something maybe even, even before at, that maybe before that and at that point i mean you weren't new to film photography you had been in it for a while mm -hmm. and so that got me you know I, I learned more through your subsequent appearances on the show and then of course through your work on all through a lens mm -hmm. but i was curious some about your origin story. So I think you've mentioned you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? I did. Yes. And so we'll talk about various creative things throughout <laughs> your life, but a couple of things that maybe were or were not tied necessarily to creativity, but I think of exploration because you used to do audio journals of, of some of your exploring. Yeah, that's right. And your love of history. Were these things that we would have found in a young Eric way back in Pennsylvania? <laughs> have they always been a part of your interests? Yeah, history for sure. Uh, East Coast is where the history lives. Right. And so I was, yeah, I was at the Gettysburg Battlefield every weekend. I was just doing a lot of history, like on the ground history stuff. Right. So yeah, okay. I was always involved with history. Okay. Uh, were you into photography? At that point, were you taking pictures of these historical sites you were visiting? I mean, snapshots, I guess. I had a Pentex K1000, and I was shooting whatever the drugstore had. It wasn't artistic or anything like that. It was very much just taking photographs for reference purposes. Like, oh, this regiment was here, so let's take a picture of what that ground looked like for some reason. Right. Yeah. What got you started 
It, I mean, not everyone had a K-1000 even. So what, well, what kind of got you interested in photography? Well, my dad shot a K-1000 just because he got interested in photography. And right. I think I had like a 110 or something. And okay. I always thought it was kind of cool, you know? And, and at one point he bought me one. He found one at a yard sale or something and bought it for me during, okay. I guess, the early days of digital. And so I started shooting that and I was like, oh, this is this is pretty cool. You know, I, I dig it. I, I don't understand it at all. It has a, a light meter in it and right. the arrow goes from the plus to the minus. And in the middle, when you get to the middle, that's where you take the picture. Right. And that was the extent <laughs> of my photography knowledge. And honestly, I, I don't know much more now. Right. So I did that. It wasn't, like I said, it wasn't artistic. It wasn't creative. It was just documenting. And that's, you know, whatever. Uh, then I got a digital camera and I started doing, like taking more, I don't know, artistic, for lack of a better word, photos, mm -hmm. and then kind of making them look like film through a long process of like, of like <laughs> Photoshop or, or whatever. Right. Um, and then Instagram came around. This would have been years and years, you know, going on doing this. Instagram sure. came around and they had the filters that made your digital photos look like film. Mm -hmm. and suddenly my hours of work for every photo was pointless. So I just said, well, F it. I'm going to just shoot film. Right. And I got myself a Holga and enjoyed it and then <laughs> discovered box cameras and, and, you know, various other cameras. And I did the whole, like, must have every camera thing for a few years. Right. Okay. And so, and we'll talk throughout about different, uh, musical interests mm -hmm. that that you have, but kind of going back to that same period of your life, what were you listening to at that time? Music has always been a part of my life. Mm -hmm. My dad played guitar, mm -hmm. and from a very early age, I thought my dad was John Denver. Okay. <laughs> because he played John Denver songs, and he right. kind of looked like John Denver. <laughs> So I just assumed as like a three-year-old or whatever, my dad is John Denver, not knowing sure. who John Denver was. <laughs> and then, you know, some time later, I figured out that, no, my dad is not John Denver. My dad is my dad and John Denver is somebody else. Right. But I learned, I, I played guitar from an early age. I was putting records on the turntable by I think two or three. They trusted okay. me to do that. Um, because I was careful and I knew that, you know, you, you don't, you don't scratch it. You don't, you, know, you just, you're very gentle with the records. And I was very gentle with the records. Right. Okay. And did you, learning guitar, was that just playing around on it? Did your dad teach you? Did you take some I other kind lessons. of lessons? I took lessons okay. from a guy who was like a, like in a bar band or whatever. And mm -hmm. I, I learned you know, uh, all, all three chords of punk rock and, uh, and that's, yeah, I, I didn't, I was, I was never a good guitarist and I'm still not, I don't play anymore, I guess. So I, I kind of feel like it's riding a bike, I guess. Uh, right. probably not very good at that either anymore. <laughs> you might have to build your calluses back up. Maybe I just, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't play, but I did. And, you know, and age 15, I was playing in hardcore bands and uh, straight edge bands. Uh, we uh, my, my first band was called Reality by Choice, which is okay. a, a very generic straight edge band name. Right. 
which was very fitting for the music we were playing. Sure. And was this still in Pennsylvania yes. or had you moved west? Yet? Yeah, I didn't move west until 08. Okay. So this would have been 90s, early 90s. Okay. And was that sort of what the local scene was at that time or were you guys edgier than most? <laughs> well, I mean, there was there was like one or two bands in the local scene and everything else was kind of like like just dirt metal bands, you know, right. bar bands and things like that. But there were there was a growing like hardcore scene, punk rock scene okay. that kind of grew out of State College in Pennsylvania and sort of was an offshoot of Scranton and DC. And I, I guess we kind of got involved with that. It was very it was very very removed from a lot of things. So we we did sort of our own thing. And so we weren't heavily influenced by, you know, what was going on in the local punk scenes or the semi-local punk scenes. It was, right. um, it's sort of like the kid who sort of gets it, but sort of doesn't. That was us. That was the entire local scene for where I was. We just didn't quite get it. Right. Okay. And so were you doing any kind of screen printing or other graphic type work during that time xeroxing okay. <laughs> we, we did xeroxing. zines uh right. and you know we we would buy um buy kinko's cards from mm -hmm. from this guy in california who would sell hundred dollar kinko's cards for five bucks okay and so we would print a lot of zines that way okay so yeah, yeah we didn't Art. i don't think there was a lot of screen printing going on maybe maybe a little bit for patches and stuff it all right. kind of runs together honestly sure. <laughs> it's been a while sure. okay so maybe we can fast forward a little bit then because you did eventually end up in seattle or just in, in the pacific northwest at least, yeah right? I, I did i ended up in seattle I mean, there's a lot of time in between all of that and a little bit of moving around but sure yeah i, I did i ended up in seattle in 08 yeah photography in in 2012 was when i, I really started so and was it still 35 millimeter mostly at that point? Oh, I started with 120 color. Okay. Including developing. I started developing right away and I started developing color. Uh, okay. Because remember as a kid, my uncle developed black and white. And mm -hmm. I asked like, well, why don't you do color? And he's like, oh, well, you can't really do color at home. And he was printing. And yeah, printing color back in the 80s is, that's silly. Why would you do that? At home, right. you know, and, but but my thought was like, well, I can develop color. We have these C forty one kits. I can do that, and I did that, and it made sense. I didn't understand black and white at the time. I had to develop it. It made no sense to me because mm -hmm. you have a number of different emulsions. You have a number of different developers, all with different times, right? And it's like, no, I don't. I don't want to deal with any of that. Color is simple. You've got a few emulsions, and they all develop at the same time. This just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's where that's how I how I started it. And now I do I don't, you know, I do mostly black and white now. Right. Maybe we did skip over something between Pennsylvania and Seattle. I oh mean, my goodness, yes. Skip uh, over a lot of things. <laughs> what 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 were the stops in between then? Well, I mean I mean we talk music. I mean, my whole mm -hmm. everything about me Mm -hmm. uh, was formed musically in Pennsylvania, everything. Okay. Um, it was, it's it still affects me to this day. You know, I was, I grew up listening to 
I don't know, whatever, Michael Jackson, because it was 1982. And right. it was, you know, you, you were legally required to, to own Michael Jackson's Thriller. Sure. And absolutely. <laughs> then I heard Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything for me. It was like, oh, this is something I like. It isn't just something that's on, you know? Right. And I like this and I love this. I love this music. And, you know, I, I was obsessed with Duran Duran. And I still am. I've, I have the probably the largest Duran Duran record collection in the Pacific Northwest. I'm not sure if I'm proud of that, but it was the first record that I bought. It was the uh, the, the Wild Boys 12 inch single with the eight inch with the uh, with the uh, eight minute remix on it. Okay, still have it. You know, I still have it. Right. Um, that would have been in eighty eighty five, I guess. Okay. So, Thriller. Thriller was my first album. Oh, was it? Oh, neat. Yes. Neat. <laughs> It's, and first cassette and first uh, singles were oh, all of really. <laughs> it was um, Thriller was was my mom got that I think because of uh, we had the we did the BMG tape club. Sure, you know, right? Yes. Um, she she was very honest about it. I, on the other hand, I was not. Um, <laughs> which is why nobody knows my last name is because BMG and Columbia House are still searching for me. <laughs> that would that would explain right. it really uh i i would you know i would do the same thing that most kids do did you know you'd you'd get the 12 cds or right. tapes and then you'd change your name and order 12 more and then change your name order 12 more <laughs> and you you amass a really large collection of things that you don't care about linda ronstadt i'm never gonna listen to linda ronstadt but it's free <laughs> right so yeah well, i did, well, did that for a bit yeah back to Back to Duran Duran. Oh, sure. Yeah. What do we need to know? What it, What is everybody who would otherwise maybe not be paying as much attention? What What did What should they know about Duran Duran? Well, okay. Do yourself a favor. Everybody knows the song Rio. Everybody knows it. But right. listen to it again. Or go on YouTube and find the isolated bass track from it. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most complicated bass lines in synth pop history. It's an incredibly <laughs> fun wacky bass line it sounds like bernard edwards a lot like bernard edwards right and there's even rumor that bernard Ed- bernard edwards played it and from um from chic and he he did mm-hmm. it this was john taylor he was oh i don't know 20 he'd been playing bass for a year and a half two years when he wrote when he wrote it and he played it he's just a really good bassist right so listen to that that's that'd be if if, if you have if you need homework and you do <laughs> and i'll probably be giving you more Right. Listen to the baseline on Rio. Okay. Because that and well, it hooks you. It hooks me right in there. Now, when I was 12 or whenever it was, 12, 11 or 12, it was probably the girls on film video that hooked me, right. if I'm being honest. But, sure. but now looking back uh, with, with better ears, it, it was the baseline to Rio. <laughs> and the entire <laughs> Rio album is a masterpiece. It's one of the best things ever recorded. Right. Yeah. Well, and maybe this is a good time to mention because you, when I first got in touch, you shared the playlist because for all every episode of All Thrill Ends, uh, y'all would put together a playlist and you sent me a, a list of, I think it said 26 hours of music. Yeah, 26 it, hours of music that I selected for these various playlists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the extremely diverse mix. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Fugazi, there's Weird Al Yankovic, oh. there's Led. 
Lead Belly, The Dead Milkman, Public mm. Enemy, Johnny Cash, Devo, and even uh, Crispin Glover doing those uh, oh, made for walking. Another homework <laughs> assignment is go listen to that if you haven't. Crispin <laughs> Glover doing These Boots Are Made for Walking is pure insanity and genius. Sure. The man was cheated <laughs> out of, of, of Back to the Future, too. <laughs> I digress. Go on. I'm sorry. How much of that... I mean, there are definitely Weird Al Yankovic is was an '80s phenomenon. I guess you were a familiar at the time, not something you went back and discovered later on, right? No, I I was very familiar. My alongside that when when Duran Duran was also happening, there was something else mm -hmm. happening in my life, and it was mm -hmm. the discovery of the Doctor Demento show. Okay, and. Dr. Demento was a, a radio DJ on a syndicated show. They would record once a week, probably like a two-hour show, and it would be sent be sent actually on vinyl to a bunch of different record stations or um, radio stations throughout the country. And they would play it often on Sunday nights. And so my Sunday nights, starting at like 10, uh, I was supposed to be sleeping, but I was listening to the Dr. Demento show. Right. And it, it they played... Uh, it was comedy. They played comedy records, uh, but it was a lot of novelty songs and, and weird, just weird stuff, really weird stuff. And right. so that's where I got my taste for the weird. If it's musical and weird, I'm there for it. And that's from a very early age. That was that actually was probably prior to Duran Duran. I was probably nine or 10 years old. I was I was listening to things I really shouldn't be listening to at that age. <laughs> but it was some really weird stuff. And that carried on I, I listened to dr demento for years and he's still around you know he's i forget his actual name but he's a professor or he was i think he's retired now a music professor music history professor who's written tons of papers on like the blues and, and punk rock and he's a very knowledgeable fellow with a very large record collection and a very weird hobby so <laughs> highly influential right. in my life right it'd be hard to find some I don't know if you'd call him a celebrity, but a celebrity more influential in my life than Dr. Demento. Okay. And so uh, where I was going with that, <laughs> I mean, I was curious about just for the playlist, but also just in your everyday life. I mean, how much of the music that you listen to normally draws from music you grew up listening to versus new music? That's... Or new, newer music. <laughs> new to me music. Um yeah. I do dip back into what I listened to growing up, but I never stopped listening to it. Like I never, there was never a time where I didn't listen to The Cure or Duran Duran or you know, Weird Al even. I, I never right. like had the records put away in a box and would dig them out. Like, oh, I remember this from when I was, you know, 12 or whatever. There was never, that didn't happen. You know, right. as I grew up and my taste matured and I, I kind of matured, my taste in music matured, but it didn't, stop liking the stuff that I liked when I was a kid. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Right. You know, if you like something, you you like it. Sure. You shouldn't feel bad about it or feel embarrassed about it. Un unless maybe it's Bon Jovi. Then you, <laughs> then you might consider feeling a little embarrassed about Bon Jovi. But other than that, you shouldn't. Right. You shouldn't feel embarrassed by it. And I don't, right. you know, I like what I like. And sometimes it's stuff that I listened to when I was 10. Sometimes it's stuff that I just discovered. Like right now, right now I'm discovering, I'm discovering jazz. Okay. Which is something, I, I have a few blind spots in my collection and jazz was one of them. And 
I decided right. that I have a friend, very, very dear friend, and he listens to a lot of jazz, but is he's very white jazz. Right. And he plays it and I'm like, okay, this is this is good. It's fine, but it's very white. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that's not so white? And he's like, well, maybe you'd like this or that. And I go, this is okay. This is okay. I'm like, what do you think about this fellow named John Coltrane? I've heard good things. And he's right. like, oh, I'm not into John Coltrane. It's too all over the place. It's too everywhere. It's too weird. I'm like, let's discover John Coltrane. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been spending the last month or so like digging into John Coltrane, his early stuff. I wanted to start early. It's a thing that I do. And, right. you know, 56, 57, 58. And then move on from there. I'm still in 58. Right. And I love it. Yeah. It's it's amazing. It's yeah. it's amazing. Now, jazz isn't new to me. Back in Pennsylvania, I would work at, uh, I worked at a convenience store. And poorly, very poorly at a convenience store. I was not a good employee. But <laughs> I worked in the late night shift. Mm-hmm. And... There was a uh, Philadelphia has the University Temple University, and they had I think it's an all jazz station at the time, and they would play like bebop all night, and so I got to listen to some crazy crazy jazz all night every night. Okay, but it was one of those radio stations that didn't really tell you what they were playing; they just played it. Right. So I had all these jazz songs in my life every day, <laughs> eight hours a day. No idea what any of them were except for. There was a song called Lullaby in Birdland. I still don't know which version. And Ella Fitzgerald. Okay. Um, they played a version of Ella. I think it was Ella doing, I don't know, a song where she purposely imitates Janis Joplin. And she mm-hmm. says something like, and here's what the kids are singing like today. And she does, I don't know, maybe Tisket a Tasket or something <laughs> as Janis Joplin and nails it. And okay. never been able to find it. Oh, wow. It may, I fell asleep a lot at the job. (laughs) Like I would wake up at the register handing somebody money. Right. Looking down and going, oh, this is $5 and 94 cents. And looking at the register and going, that's not what that says. And, uh, but I hand like, I just, I don't know. I fell asleep a lot. (laughs) It was a bad job. Nobody should be, nobody should work at a convenience store. Right. No. <laughs> and maybe this is a good time for me to throw in the first sort of kind of crossover between music and photography sure. that that maybe more will come up. And this is one of those things that like as creative outlets, photography is often a thing that we do by ourselves. But music has that advantage of being able to do it with other people mm-hmm. and, and you get something out of that. And then with jazz specifically these super talented practitioners get to improvise, right? They may never play the same song the same way twice. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Is that improvisational aspect of it part of what you appreciate about jazz in particular? I think so. Yeah. I think it is. I I like that it's, even on their studio albums, they are all playing together. Mm -hmm. You know, there were no overdubs or anything like that, at least back in the 50s. You know, you'd all get into a room in like Hackensack, New Jersey or Hoboken and some white guy would press record and they would play these, you know, they'd they'd play for hours and hours. And then they would then the record company would select different songs to put on albums. But you would still get that improvisational live 
feel because it was live. They just weren't playing right. for an audience. They're playing for each other. Right. And yeah, one of my favorite pieces, I forget the name of it. I'm bad at this. <laughs> it's on a uh, Thelonious Monk album, Monk's Music, I think. Mm-hmm. And he's playing with Coltrane and he plays, okay. he plays the piano and he's playing and you can tell that he's filling time. And he keeps playing the same the same phrase like over and over. Mm-hmm. And he plays it a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And then he stops. The drums are still going. He stops and he yells, Coltrane, Coltrane. And then Coltrane joins in. He Coltrane missed his cue by like a minute. <laughs> and there's various reasons that you that are told why, you know, but right. um, but I like that. And they left it. They didn't they didn't go back and cut it out. They didn't you know, overdub over. I don't, think, I don't think you really could. You didn't have multi-track at that point. Right. And they just left it in. And it's one of the most iconic recordings in jazz, partially because of that. Right. You know, and so, yeah, that's that's a big part of it. I like that small, intimate, improvisational feel. Okay. Mentioning that reminds me of the documentary, The Jazz Loft. Have you seen that? I haven't. Are you familiar with it? No, not not at all. So if you wanted to check it out or anyone listening wanted to check it out, the deal is W. Eugene Smith, the photographer, was living in New York City in a loft. And below him was another apartment where Theolonius Monk Mm -hmm. and other jazz figures of the day would gather and just hang out and play music. Oh, wow. And Smith, in addition to taking a lot of photos (laughs) of his experience there, uh, was getting into sound recording at the time. And he has all of these tapes of the ambient noise of the music coming through the walls and the floor and him calling the police to complain about the noise. Oh, wow. (laughs) And just all sorts of things, but it, it's 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 really interesting, especially if if you have even the slightest bit of interest in in that time and jazz and what it might be for a cranky old photographer to be living above a bunch of jazz musicians in New York. <laughs> oh wow! No, that's really it's called the Jazz Loft. The Jazz Loft. Nice, nice. Yeah, I have uh, below me in the apartment below me. There are there's a, a a drummer of some kind, um, not like okay. trap set, but like um, bongos. I I don't know. I don't know for drums, but <laughs> you know he has not not a drum circle. It's not like a hippie thing. Right. But it, he he like on Saturday mornings or whatever there'll be like three or four drummers in there going around, and and it's like oh this is kind of neat. Yeah. And then during the pandemic in the summers there was a person who played piano with mm-hmm. all their windows open, like classical piano. And so you'd hear these like Rachmaninoff pieces just wafting through the air. And it was amazing. It was okay. amazing. That was like the the drumming happening at the same time, like, you know, if, with, with like Rachmaninoff or something, something classical happening too. It was these mix of sounds with like my crows outside crowing. And it was some all of the right. most beautiful, like, sounding moments of my life it was really really neat and what a time in world history to be surrounded by it yeah yeah i think one thing that was why you know right but the piano the drumming is still happening i don't know what's going on with that sure but the piano (laughs) after after covid magically went away um the piano did as well (laughs) oh okay 
you know, back on music and new music or new to me music, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording about sort of a bunch of related topics, vinyl and new music Mm -hmm. and how people consume music today versus maybe when we were growing up or people complaining that they're just, you know, they just don't make music like they used to or or (laughs) this sort of thing. I I mean, sort of what is your, just what's your view, but then how do you consume music these days? My my view on that is people who say that there's no good music today aren't Mm -hmm. listening. Right. Now, maybe they'll only hear like Taylor Swift or insert other famous person here (laughs) and not and not like it and i'm one of those people i i don't i have no connection to the popular music today but looking back i didn't have much of a connection to the popular popular music when i was growing up you know after Mm -hmm. duran duran that was kind of the apex of like the popular stuff after they declined in popularity i still followed them of course but i got into like some really weird stuff Mm -hmm. and I guess I always dug for music. You know, I always found it necessary to really, really dig for music. And that's never gone away. And so right. I, I feel people that say that have never had the luxury of having to dig for music they really liked. They just right. turned on the radio and they liked whichever Phil Collins song was on. <laughs> and, you know, going back, I can listen to Phil Collins and be like, okay, yeah, there's something here. He's really, really talented. Right. But it's not the same thing anymore. You can't do that. And you do have to dig a little bit if you're looking for something that's different, but also it's not that difficult to dig anymore. Like before you had to go to a record store, flip through the records until you found something with a weird enough cover that you could afford, buy it and maybe like it or maybe not. Now you can go to Spotify or Bandcamp or YouTube and, let the algorithm mysteriously well, I, I might add, feed you things that you might like. And it's really like eerily good at that. Right. And if you just, you know, also talking to people, which is something <laughs> that maybe these folks don't do a lot of. Sure. You can find like, oh, what are you listening to? Oh, I've never heard that, you know, or and then and then take and follow that rabbit hole wherever it goes, which is the same thing that they should have been doing when they were teenagers. Right. That maybe they weren't, or maybe they've forgotten how to do, or maybe they expect it to be spoon-fed to them, or or maybe they're just saying that because they think that's what people want to hear, you know? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why people say that, because it's just utterly not true. I would agree, and I, and I would also agree on the point of uh, Spotify. I mean, I think if you... Like you mentioned, I mean, if you listen to enough on there, they're going to figure out what your tastes are, what you like, and they're going to feed you things that you will like. Yeah, for better or for worse. (laughs) You you will like these things. I don't, while I appreciate the algorithm on Spotify, and I don't know what it is on Bandcamp. Maybe it's an algorithm. Maybe it's something. I I have no idea. I do appreciate that to a limited extent. I do still like finding things on my own. Um, or maybe it's the impression that you're finding things on your own. Cause usually it's still like on Spotify, like, Oh, other people who listen to this, listen to this as well. So maybe it's me like digging through Spotify to find them. (laughs) But 
also you you mentioned the Dead Milkmen, who were maybe the, right. yeah. maybe the most important band in my life ever. Okay. They do a weekly YouTube video, just, just them sitting around talking, <laughs> and they recommend music, and it's it's okay. usually new music, almost always new music, and so I've gotten a lot of things from them. Okay. Uh, which is, I uh, you know, twelve year old me would not have imagined that, but twelve <laughs> year old me would have been pretty happy with the things that I'm listening to, that are being made today. You know, and, and what was that? I was just going to ask, what channel is that? Yeah, just the Dead Milkmen have their own okay. thing. A little peek behind the curtain with the podcast. Each <laughs> each episode, we would ask a question. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, the question was pulled or altered from the Dead Milkmen's question that they would ask themselves because they're, they're okay. really genuinely good questions. Right. Um, not always. I mean, I'd say probably not even half the time or much less than half the time. But a lot of the questions were taken from that because they were just good questions. Well, it was just neat all around, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, very okay. important band for me. Okay. And not to compare these two things that that either one is good or bad, but they are different experiences. I mean, we talked about vinyl and sort of this experience of sitting down and listening to a whole album, yeah. you know, a, a whole a side at a time beginning to end versus what a 13 year old me would have thought would be awesome to be able to carry 26 hours plus <laughs> thousands more <laughs> on a device in my pocket anywhere I go. Yeah. I mean, it is a, a little bit different experience. I'm, I'm well, an album guy. Yeah. Um, I, at first I loathed uh, playlists hated mm -hmm. playlists and I'm still not a, a huge fan of them. Uh, mm -hmm. they serve a purpose and I'm fine with using them for that purpose. Right. But I, I do, I will listen to albums. And by that, I mean like, you know, I'll either on Spotify, I'll listen to a whole album. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, at home I'll listen to it on vinyl. I'm all, I'm, I have a very large single collection as well, like singles, you know, from, from mostly from the eighties. And so I am also a, a singles guy as well, okay, but right. the albums really, uh, that's, that's where it, it just makes sense to me. It's a full thought, like a single or a, an individual song is fun. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, it's four minutes or five minutes of fun, but seeing it in context, there's a, a different, it gives a different meaning, a different feel. It's like a photo book. You know, right. not that I think more people are probably familiar with albums than photo books, but whatever. <laughs> Look, a photo book, you know, you see a photo on its own, like on a wall or whatever. OK, cool. It's a beautiful photo. But if right. you see it in the context of a book, especially a book that's not like a compilation. It's like, oh, this is Ansel Adams' greatest hits or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and Ansel right. Adams sings the classics. It's like a, a photo book that's, you know, that has like a concept. And you see it within that concept, it adds a different layer to it. Well, the songs are the same way. Every album, any 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 good album is a concept album, even if it's not like prog rock or some Pink Floyd thing. Every album has that concept, has that flow. The 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 musicians debate for days and weeks over the 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 sequencing, which song comes first, second, third. They debate which which songs come on the on side A, which side which songs come on side B what song begins it, how it ends. These things are, are very important to musicians and probably not to the rest of us, but subconsciously, you know, uh, it can make or break an album.
you know, like a right. bad song going into a good song or a good song going into a bad song or a just misplaced song, it can throw off the whole experience. You know, the I think the 90s can attest to that where, right. you know, a band would release like a single, a really good song. I don't know. I wasn't incredibly aware in the 90s, <laughs> but a good song that everybody loved. And then the album right. would just be just just rubbish. Right. And, you know, that that happens. That that happens. <laughs> it happened a lot then, I guess. I wasn't listening very intently to that stuff in the nineties, but that's what I hear. Okay. One of the things you mentioned that kind of ties back to that early Sunday sixteen appearance, you were at that point known as Load and Subdued Light. Load Before film you, and subdued light, yes. Load film and yes. subdued subdued light. Before changing your uh handle to conspiracy of cartographers mm -hmm. and there is a musical story behind this S sort of musical related and movies um it okay. is a line from the play turned movie of rosencrantz and guildenstern are dead by tom stoppard um, okay soundtrack partially by pink floyd really it's a tim Rice, not tim rice um tim roth tim rice totally different guy right Tim, yeah, he, right. he wrote Jesus Christ Superstar. Tim Roth did not write Jesus Christ Superstar. Uh, amazing right. actor, though. <laughs> and um, the guy who played Sid Vicious and Dracula, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, also played uh, the guy who killed Kennedy. Uh, Everybody is not going, oh, it's this guy. Well, hey, he is also in it. <laughs> and okay. during the movie... Mm -hmm. Of course, it's based on the play Hamlet. And in Hamlet, they're sending Rosencrantz and Guildenstern to England. And right. what the movie does and the play does is they take that story from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern's point of view. And so they're arguing about going to England. They don't want to go. And Rosencrantz or Guildenstern, they are interchangeable. One of them says, England, I don't believe in it. And the other says, what, just a conspiracy of cartographers? <laughs> and my friends and I, when we were 18 thought that was the coolest band name ever. Right. And if we ever get a band, another band, we were going to be using this. If we ever got a band together, we're going to be using this Conspiracy of Cartographers as the name of the band because it is a kick-ass name. I could not agree right. more. <laughs> 20 years go by and they nobody's used it as a band. So... Mm -hmm. For some reason, I just kind of got bored with Load Film and Subdued Light. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know what? If I don't use it, somebody else is going to. Mm -hmm. So no band happened, but I <laughs> I happened. And now I'm Conspiracy of Cartographers. I think it started off as my zine name. Right. Okay. I think yeah. so. And then I used it as... I don't remember how it happened, but that, that that's... The basic idea, either the zine, zine happened, then I used the name, or the name happened, then I made it the zine name as well. I, I don't know. But yes, it comes from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern or did. So that's more homework. Please watch that movie, <laughs> especially and probably only if you're familiar with Hamlet. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mentioning the zines. So that was one thing that came up in some of those early episodes mm -hmm. on Sunday 16. I think the very first one they were talking to you at that time about your use of expired film. Yeah. Which was a thing you used to do still a do. good bit of, right? I still do it. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, it, I still it, actually, have, I have a book series now called Expired, and I mm-hmm. shoot each book is a is a box of Ant, box or two of Ants Ghost film from the fifties and sixties. Okay. So yeah, still do it. Right. Did you get started with that for artistic purposes or financial? Financial, purposes? because expired <laughs> film used to be cheaper than regular film. Right. Uh, back in the, the old days, the salad days of film photography, where nobody <laughs> wanted their expired film. And professional photographers were like looking in their fridges and going, I haven't used this in 20 years. Here you go, kid. And so you know, you'd get like 30 rolls of Panatomic X. Right. And, you know, not really appreciate what you had. <laughs> and now it's much more expensive than regular film. Um, right. Absolutely. So, yeah. But and I still like did... shooting it. Okay. And when did you make your first zine from your photography? Not Not necessarily music related, I guess. Well, I mean, I don't know. 2017? question mark i don't know um yeah it was called i think my first one was conspiracy of cartographers okay um it was small i had it printed at kinko's um Mm -hmm. through it was like back in the day i I knew a guy who worked there and he just ran them off for me and then i screen printed the cover Mm -hmm. and uh just like you know back in the day and yeah, I think I made like 60 of them, 50 or 60 of them. And they sold pretty well. They sold pretty quickly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, maybe I'm, maybe I've got something here. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I do still don't know, but they, I'm still making them just released a new one, uh, <laughs> this past week. So, um, yeah, you've been quite prolific. I would say I've probably been too prolific. Yeah. <laughs> and at this point it's like uh, another one. <laughs> And so at one point you released the slow meow, right? Uh, Tasma Micrat 200. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I got, what's, what was the story there? Um, well, it was before it was for, for the, for the podcast. It was before we had Patreon. Mm-hmm. We were, we were thinking of ideas on how to fund it. And somehow or another, I don't remember. We thought like, well, re-rolling film would be a good idea. Mm-hmm. it's not <laughs> we did <laughs> financially we did okay but i i spent you know days rolling a thousand foot of film onto mm-hmm. uh 35 millimeter rolls in a dark bag i'd use a dark bag so it was hours of being hunched over watching i don't know what i was i was watching some sitcom i'm sure like just binge watching whatever while i did it and yeah it took days and days to do but it was i mean people paid for it which was financially very nice and they right. seemed to like it mm-hmm. uh, we did slow me out we did something else too i forget the name of it we did another another emulsion um another probably ukrainian emulsion i don't remember what it was though right well and this is a you know it's become a little bit more commonplace especially i i, I feel like in the last couple of years with you know, on the one hand, the supply chain issues with color film and also the financial considerations for people to uh, start rolling Vision 3 film yeah. and, and selling it as an option for people. But you did it 
uh, much earlier, along with zines. And... Yeah, oh, well, I did it. Yeah, I did it along. along yeah. yeah, we did it did a while ago. And everybody is everybody and their grandma is doing Vision Three rerolls at this point, and right, that's great. That's fine. <laughs> I, I I don't I I don't I don't buy it, but you know, cool. Right. If that's if that's what you're into, find the the cheapest the cheapest you can. It's all the same stuff. Right. And uh, I don't know. Shoot it if you want to. <laughs> I guess. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah. So, well, sort of along those lines, how did you come up with the idea to make your own ECN2 kit? I, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. uh, someone sent me the formula and I'm like, oh, oh okay. Interesting. Could I do this? And so I bought the chemicals and I started making my own kits. And I had this, was a film back in the 80s and 90s called Varicolor 3 by Kodak. And I had a, I had a, a bulk roll of it and I was shooting it and developing it in C41, which is what you're supposed to do. And right. it turned, it was just so blue. It was very blue and I hated it, you know? And so I was like, well, I wonder what happens if I, cross-process it in in ECN2. So I did. And it came out looking super saturated and all that the blues were still there, but all the other colors were there too. Right. And I was like, oh, oh, this is a different monster. This is a <laughs> totally different monster. And it was like super saturated slide film. It was still a negative film, so negative film. But once you scan it in, it looked like super saturated slide film. And but different, you know? And I got mm -hmm. really excited about it. And it's like, hey, if you're shooting expired film, you should try this. And people were like, well, I, I'm not, I'm not going to mix up my own developer. That's stupid. Why would I do that? <laughs> and I'm like, you're right. It's not the smartest thing in the world to do. Would you like mm -hmm. to buy a kit from me because I'm doing that now? <laughs> and it just became, it just filled a void. There was nobody else offering it at all at the time. Right. And I just filled a void. It wasn't. It wasn't to accommodate people shooting Vision 3. At that point, really nobody was. I mean, Cine still existed. But right. they were having everybody develop that in whatever thing they were offering, which was, I guess, C41 or maybe modified C41. I don't, I don't know what they're doing. But they didn't right. do ECN2 at the time. Right. And so I just started doing that and started doing that. And it's done okay for me. I mean, it's a lot of work. You know, it, it's not like a, I get these things like I, I have to I get big vats of chemicals or not vats, but like, you know, bottles, tubes or I don't know what mm -hmm. they are, cases, containers of chemicals, powdered chemicals. And I I sp spend days mixing up these batches. You know, I mean, if I'm if I'm paid hourly, I'm probably m less than minimum wage with it. <laughs> Right. But, you know, I do okay because, you know, I'm also doing other things like watching TV. Right. So I'm working my way through Mary Tyler Moore now. I've never seen <laughs> it before. So I'm really enjoying that. So when I mix up ECN2 kits, I'm, I'm watching Mary Tyler Moore. Huge crush on Rhoda. Didn't really see that coming. No. <laughs> but hey, somebody has to. S spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alternating episodes of All Through a Lens was a dev party mm -hmm. where you would try out different films, different developers, different techniques. So sort of along the lines of ECN2, I mean, do you enjoy experimenting with different techniques and developers or was that just 
an informational <laughs> aspect of the show. At first I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe after a year or so of doing it, I, I fell into, you know, what every experimental uh, photographer fears is that like, oh, I found my emulsion. Right. And hey, I found my developer. Mm-hmm. I don't need to experiment anymore with with those things. I can move right. my experimental sense to the actual photography. Right. And, you know, maybe to lenses or to, you know, compositions or with, with large format movements and things like that, you know. You can experiment with that. And so all of that creative drive went from like, oh, let's try this developer with this emulsion, went from that to being in the field where mm-hmm. where I feel more comfortable. Right. Um, so after a while, I really started to dislike, not the dev party, I enjoyed that. I always enjoyed that. But the having to come up with something new, a new combination. Right. I hated it. Hated every every bit of that. But I did like the format. Mm-hmm. And so towards the last half of our, our run, uh, we were trying different things, you know, mm-hmm. with it. Um, m- maybe a little bit of like, you know, the, the, the main episode was like long with history. This would be like shorter with histories or, or we do like the history of an emulsion or history of a, of, of, of a developer. And so that was a little more interesting to me. Right. Um, but yeah, it got to be, you know, not so much hanging out as it was like, well, well, now I've got to do like an hour or two of research for this 30 minute quick piece. Right. And, you know, that was that was a lot. It became a lot. It became a lot. But I still enjoyed that part. OK, well, well, speaking of those historical pieces, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that was. Well, I should say up front. I mean, I love the show. I loved yeah, all of the so I. all of all of the bits and pieces, uh, the the guest interviews, the historical pieces, the dev parties, all of it, the playlist. Um, on the historical parts, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you did really deep dives into some photographers, and also some maybe areas of photography that don't get as much coverage yeah. like photo booths or pigeons or or women yeah or yeah <laughs> women absolutely half the population um, <laughs> uh mug shots and rockets yeah. that shoot 110 film mm-hmm. uh, what what were some of the of those topics that you did a deep dive on were there any that really kind of stick out to you I enjoyed I enjoyed discovering the photographers mm-hmm. uh like in the same way that that I discovered music and still do I I would do the same thing with photographers I would dig mm-hmm. you know I'd find somebody mentioned in a book and like okay they're they're mentioning this person in passing uh, this usually a, a woman <laughs> in passing right like okay who is she what's her story you know and so mm-hmm. then I would I would dig and dig and dig to find her story. And through her story, you know, we'd get to learn about the the masters that who are almost exclusively male. And so right. we would discover these people. We would be able to to learn and to teach about these people through the women they exploited. <laughs> through the women they exploited. 
or right. you know, were in, in like in the case of like Ansel Adams, for example, who who they were friends with, which was mm-hmm. nice. And so yeah, I, I'm, my favorite thing with that was discovering new new photographers and discovering styles of photography that would influence me by, by people who were taking photos that looked nothing like mine. Right. You know, and I, I, I loved that. I loved that so much and becoming so attached to a photographer that, you know, when I'd be during the episode, like reading their, their the bio that I wrote, I'd get to the, their death and I couldn't make it through without crying mm-hmm. because I became so attached to them. Right. And I loved that attachment, you know, to this person who has been dead for 50 years or so. You know, I loved feeling that, you know, that that, that connection and that love for right. a person who maybe nothing in common other than, you know, we both have the same interest in photography. I, I do think it was great. Um, certainly introduced me to a lot of historical uh, photographers mm-hmm. and and some modern day ones. I mean, Kate Miller Wilson's work, oh yeah, of course, comes immediately to mind. Yeah. I, I love the work that she makes. Mm. Um, yeah, Liz Potter, mm-hmm. Hong Pong, Aloy Anderson. Yeah, oh, yeah, a few people who I became familiar with through yeah. through the podcast, it, and it, that was. Go ahead. It was that was a, a great aspect of it was, again, you know, meeting meeting these photographers and getting to be able to speak to these photographers. A lot of people will will like, you know, their main influences will be the masters or the real mm-hmm. famous photographers. And in the same way, people listen to music and they listen to like the really famous, you know, people like Taylor Swift or whoever is famous right. now. <laughs> And what I liked about how I did like, you know, punk music and hardcore music, you'd go to a show and Mm -hmm. you would hang out with the band. You'd talk to the band, you'd get to know the band and you'd stay friends with them and you'd be, and they'd become your influences. These people who you could, you know, knock ideas around with, or, Hey, I wrote this. What do you think? You know, or I I got this, I got this riff. What do you think about this riff? And so you'd be able to be directly influenced by the people that you're listening to, like regularly listening to, not just like you go to the show on Saturday night and you listen to it, but you'd buy the records or CDs or whatever. You'd take it home and this would be your soundtrack to your life. And so, you know, then you'd be able to talk to them, call them up or write them letters, <laughs> send them <laughs> tapes, or, you know, as time went on, you know, email them and, and you know, still send them tapes. And- right you'd be able to, to get that guidance and that influence by people that you knew and loved. And so in the right. same way, I, I really, I, I can't, I can't stress this enough. Your influences, I'm hesitant to say need to be, but should really be people you can talk to. Right. You know, if you look at any of the stories that we talked about on the podcast Mm-hmm. All of them were photographic communities and there was no internet then, obviously. And so there are people that they would live with, uh, sleep with in many different ways and <laughs> interact with and, and, and do shows with and do shoots with. Right. They were all influencing each other, even though sometimes they shot very, very differently and very different people. And sometimes, you know, horrible, toxic relationships. 
but right. they still took influence with each from from each other and and gave to each other and there was that love and the interaction that that we have more access to now because of the internet we don't have to be personally in the same like meet space with these people that we are influenced by but we can always talk to them like you know uh one of my biggest influences is kate you know who right. i i do talk to regularly she's one of my biggest influences even though our photos look nothing alike but i don't know that there is a photographer who has influenced me more than her and it's you know there's certain philosophies of photography that she and i don't agree on and that's influenced me too you know that's gotten me to think outside of my head and to examine like well why do i think this you know why do i like this mm-hmm. you know and then her group that she has in the minnesota area you know like taylor and right. uh rebecca who uh, we've we've had we had on the podcast as well that what they have there they they, they started a little a wonderful, I guess you could call it a community. It's very, I don't know if it's very insular or there's not many people there, but they're influencing and feeding off of each other a lot. You know, you see the photos that come out of one of their shoots from all of these different people. And they really do remind you of like a a jazz quintet, you know, playing off each other and doing different things at the same time. And, you know, shooting their own styles, like, you know, Taylor will have her own style. Kate will have hers. Rebecca will have hers. And, you know, it's it's a, a really interesting thing, a really beautiful thing. And so when I see people, like on Instagram, like name-dropping famous photographers, I always feel a little, a little sad for that. Yeah. Like your influences are, I mean, I don't, I'm bad with names. I'm really, really bad with names. You know, right. insert whichever famous photographer. And I'm like, okay, great. That's fine. There's no reason like Ansel Adams. There's no reason not to like Ansel Adams. Like there's no reason not to like the Beatles. Right. They're, they're fine. They're, they're good. I understand. (laughs) But if that's where you stop, Mm -hmm. you're missing out on a lot of good music. If we're talking about the Beatles or photography, if we're talking about Ansel Adams. So, You're missing out, regardless of which, you're missing out on a lot of experiences that you wouldn't otherwise have. And so I think it's so important to take your influence, no matter what art you're doing, from people that you can interact with. I don't know if that answered a, answered a question at all. <laughs> it did. And, I, and it's changed my follow-up question like three times while you oh. were speaking. So, But that's, that's fine, because I think maybe I'll work backwards through them. Okay. I feel like a lot of my own photographic influences are from the English speaking world. Like I have no, I, I know people who have been to Africa mm-hmm. on a photo safari from here, yeah. but I don't know what your typical person who lives in Africa, who has any interest in photography whatsoever, what their photography is like. No, Same thing no. for China or mm-hmm. Russia or any of these places i mean have you been able to dive deep into central american <laughs> photographers or or any other not, sort not, of not really i mean and it, i'm not you know i'd be certainly interested you know like right. if there's like a group of african photographers mm-hmm. you know doing so i would love love to see that you know right. um a group of photographers from india or whatever i would love to see that but i would love to see like 
how they're influencing each other, you know, how they're interacting. I'd like to see that, you know, right. and I'd like to see their photography, of course, but I'd like to see their creative process. Is it different from mine? Can I learn from it? You know, and, but no, I don't, I don't go out looking for, I don't go out looking for photographers, I guess. Right. Um, right. Especially now that I don't have to find them to interview, but <laughs> uh, maybe that's, a, that's, you know, that's definitely a blind spot. In, in right. my, I don't know, array of photographers that are floating around in my brain. It's definitely a blind right. spot. You know, it's, it is it's for me too. Definitely white America is pretty much what I, I've gotten. Now, I I do make it a um, a point that, you know, I, I, I do try to pay more attention to women photographers than men. Mm-hmm. So, so many men, male photographers are are kind of the same, kind of interchangeable. Maybe it's just my eye. I can't, I don't know. But right. there there does seem to be, I, this could be prejudice, it could be bias. Uh, there does seem to be more interesting things happening with women in photography um, than with men in photography. It could be my lack of exposure to male photographers, or it could be, I don't know, it could be coincidence. But from my experiences, uh, it's, it's not as interesting. <laughs> I agree. And, and you touched on it. I mean, I think certainly the female photographers I know when they take, you know, I look at their images and, and they may be focused on a similar subject matter that I would take an image, but they're going to approach it from a completely different, you know, their personal history and sure. just their, their artistic eye just, so many factors go into that. And why would I not want to expose myself to someone who's going to approach a subject that I'm interested in, but with a different viewpoint to help me grow? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the white male viewpoint on things, (laughs) right? You know, being, being one, I have some idea what that's like. So it's not as interesting to me to see somebody shooting something from what would probably be my own point of view so right. yeah but i do need I, I, there's a lot of blind spots and so i do need right. to branch out and i think you know maybe we all do but i definitely do yeah for sure so so the the question that you definitely answered was going to be about the social aspect of photography i mentioned earlier photography is often a thing that we do alone yeah. but but a podcast having a podcast about photography is a way to engage with other photographers and sort of you know get to interact and pass some of those ideas back and forth and and you touched a lot on that but certainly feel free to to add any additional thoughts about that but i i'm i'm shy which i know (laughs) it might come as a i might come as a little bit of a shock I, i am though i'm very i'm very shy on the podcast I was, we were both playing characters of mm-hmm. ourselves. They were a shade, shade different from who we are in real life. Right. And, and certain times they were more so than, than others. And my character was a, was the extroverted version of myself. <laughs> I am not an right. extrovert. I am very content with staying inside all the time. I'm very content mm-hmm. with not talking to people. Right. Um, and that, that, that is, you know, that bears out when I travel, I, I, you know, just, I just traveled for almost the entire month of July 
and I spoke to two or three people the entire month, apart from like family who I visited, you know, apart from family, uh, two right. or three other people. And I don't feel bad for that. That's just what I do. So I'm, am, I'm, I, I don't approach people. I'm, I'm very, I'm not involved in the local photography scene at all. And I'm not bragging about that. I don't think that's the way to do things. I don't think this is the right thing even for me. Right. Uh, I have one friend who's in the photography scene here and uh, she's, she's wonderful, but we've, we hung out, we, we've actually did a, a couple projects together and I, I hope we'll do more. Hopefully we'll finish one. Um, <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed shooting with her and we I did exactly one photo walk <laughs> and <laughs> I enjoyed it, but mm-hmm. getting over that social anxiety hump is two things it's it's difficult and also really stupid to not get over it because i really enjoy it once i do but i've always had that you right. know someone would invite me to a party and my first thing was like nope nope <laughs> but once i'd get there i would just put on that extrovert character and mm-hmm. i i would do well i would do very well okay i can relate to that on many levels <laughs> <laughs> Sort of the last question, though, I guess that's sort of related to the podcast that I was curious about because you very thorough and methodical about your work. Yes. Um, in in general, I, and I, and I assume that carries across all of the things that you involve yourself with. Yeah. Sometimes. And so, <laughs> and so now the the podcast has been over for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So there's been some time to think about it. And I'm thinking about this for, for this podcast that I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's a pod, it's a podcast in the sense that every episode, you know, my intention is for every episode to stand on its own as a conversation, you know, with two mm-hmm. people. But when I back up and look at the thing as a whole, in, in my mind, it's a project. It's yeah. a project of a collaboration between me and each individual person exploring this subject of music and photography. Yeah. And and whenever it all comes to an end, you know, that's what I hope people will get out of that. Have you, did you have goals going into all through a lens or after the fact, reflecting back on it, sort of the legacy or what you would like you know, people who either listened while it was happening or go back and listen after the fact, what you would like them to take it away from it? Um, well. Exposure each, to female photographers, each, I, I each, would guess. Yeah, well, that for sure. But each episode yeah. took about, each of the main episodes mm-hmm. took about 40 hours of work uh, mm-hmm. on my part of of researching, writing, and then editing, and then you know, all of that. You know, the recording. Obviously, the recording took two to three hours. Right. But everything else took you know thirty-five to forty hours, depending on the subject. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's that's pretty common with any kind of research project. You read like a, a, a history book or a biography or whatever. It takes you. 12, 24 hours, whatever to read it, but it took them years to research it and write it. You know, the work that goes into that is amazing. And same with music, you know, 
writing it and recording it and re-recording it and you know all of that takes takes so much more time than it does to listen to five seconds of it and go nah not for me <laughs> right so so obnoxious <laughs> so obnoxious but that's how it is that's how it is and you know in, in photography is the same way everybody knows that you know so mm-hmm. just it was a lot of work and i and i and i think a lot of the listeners did appreciate that i never complained about it really um right on on mic i'm sure i've complained about it off mic um <laughs> but i did genuinely enjoy my role in it mm-hmm. and i think it shows up up to the end it shows right yeah um and yeah it's all it'll be there for uh for years you know it's right. it's you know we did well enough with patreon Mm-hmm. that it can financially afford to be available for years. Because, you know, people who, like these old podcasts that, you know, haven't been recorded in years and years, people are still paying for those to be up there wherever they are. So right. keep that in mind. So, yeah, we're, we're it's already paid for, but we're, you know, we're, right. it's, it's, it'll be there. It'll be there for a while. Right. Well, you know, and I think you should be very proud of it. I am. Um, for sure. I think, you know, I, any of these conversations that go out and people listen to, I feel like, you know, any single image that I share on social media probably does not get anywhere near the, <laughs> you, you know, we just scroll, right? Yeah. You don't, most people don't pause and look at a picture. It, it seems almost disposable sometimes. Yeah. And if you do, it's only, you know, two inches, three inches, you know, <laughs> so you can't really see much anyway. Right. So in terms of something creative that you're trying to do and put together and put out there to share with the world, it's incredibly gratifying. Certainly, I appreciate the people that have reached out to me about this. And, yeah. You know, I, I just in turn wanted to share that with you that I, I really did enjoy the show. Thanks. I mean, I, I Absolutely. think there are very few people who have ever contacted us uh, not enjoying it. Um, <laughs> right. They were very memorable people who did that. Yeah. But for the most <laughs> part, it, it did seem well received. You know, it was mm-hmm. different. It was yeah. very different. That was important. You know, it wasn't. I didn't want it to be like a like a like your your. No offense to any like literally any other podcast photography or right. otherwise i didn't want it to be one where it was you know a guest the whole way through you right. know i wanted it to be a magazine right you know you have a little bit of this a little bit of that and that's definitely not a format for everybody not everybody enjoys that and that's i i just don't care i enjoyed it <laughs> and yeah. i you know was, just did right. what i wanted to do and a, and a cool drumline uh, musical. Yeah, yeah, the opening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, um, yeah. I'm bad with names. the the last <laughs> The last regiment syncopated drummers. Right. Yeah from 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 Portland. Uh, they allowed us to use that. We actually asked <laughs> permission, okay. uh, and they they allowed us to use it, which was gracious of them. It was nice. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your photography okay uh, i i do think four by five when i think of your work is that you. your main output these days it's the the thing that takes the most time <laughs> right um if i want to spend 15 minutes trying to set up a photo i'll shoot four mm-hmm. by five if i just want to take a quick 
not a snapshot, but a quick, you know, photo, um, right. it'll, it'll be, it'll be the, the, the RB67. That's my, right. my go-to camera. That's okay. my, yeah, that's my hike. Unfortunately, that's my hiking camera. <laughs> it's all, all seven pounds of RB67 is lugged with me when I hike and then I need to do something different because I'm not getting younger and that's not getting lighter. Right. Is there any 35 millimeter in your life no, these days? Not at this point. I, I considered going back once in a while, but mm -hmm. I just, I hate developing it. And right. even more than that, I hate scanning it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to pay someone else to do either of those things. So right. 120, I actually enjoy scanning 120. And I love scanning in four by five. Love it. That's where, you know, that's, you know, apart from being in the dark room, which I, I, I don't have experience in, that's, mm -hmm. that's seeing all of those 15, every single one of those 15 minutes, uh, you see, see the work coming from that and see like, oh, well, I, you know, here's what it looks like. Here's, here's the chaos that you've wrought. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy that, you know, usually. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of that 15 minutes, and you also mentioned traveling recently, and this was a thing that you've done a fair amount of, what is kind of your process? If you're visiting a place you've been to before versus going to a brand new place, kind of walk us through I think it's the same process. process. I think it's the same process. Um, I, I shoot when I see something I want to shoot. I don't generally survey an area. Sometimes I will, if I'm feeling lazy, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll walk around. If I want to feel like I'm super artistic, I'll walk around <laughs> with my hand over my chin, stroking what beard, I, the beard I don't have going, hmm, right. <laughs> hmm, what photo can I make here today? <laughs> I No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I generally, I'll, I'll I guess lately I've been shooting with, with, while hiking or driving. And so I'll get to a, a spot or I'll, I'll be really tired and I'll plop myself down and I'll look around and try to find something. Preferably if I'm shooting four by five, I'll try to find two things to make it worthwhile. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I, I have to unpack, you know, and I'm, I have to unpack the, the four by five and set up the camera and the tripod and, and you know, all of that. So it's, you know, it's an ordeal. And so I do try to take two pictures every time I I'm out um, in in the spot, but I don't really have like a I don't I don't know I don't have a thoughtful process. Let's put it that way. There's not one that I can put into words. It really it sounds barbaric. It really comes down to ooh pretty, <laughs> right? You know I like or I like this composition. If you want to get a little more artistic, I, I like this composition or I like the light on this or whatever. I, I, but it all goes back to. I like this. This is what I want to shoot. And then right. if I get, you know, into a spot, I, I do start trying to pull on the influences. Like, oh, how would, like, it's, it's a landscape. So Kate wouldn't shoot it. Mm -hmm. So, but if Kate were to shoot this, what would she do? <laughs> and, and, and I've had actually the, the honor of being with Kate while she tried to, while she tried to compose a landscape and it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> She's out of her element and still makes an amazing photo. Right. And like her process, just seeing her mind work, 
it makes you want to shoot or try to shoot in that way. And so, yeah, when I'm out, I do draw on that a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. I haven't been out since getting back. I've been, you know, taking taking some time off, I guess. I don't know. But when I was traveling around in July, well, when I was traveling around in July, I was shooting graveyards. Mm -hmm. And I was, I've, I've never really shot a portrait in my life. And so I was treating those how I think I would treat portraits. I guess I don't know. But I was treating gravestones like I would people because mm -hmm. they're representative of people. And so I thought that that would be a good idea, you know? Right. And so I would, I did, you know, the movements. I would have it, you know, blurred a certain way or tilted a certain way or certain things in focus. And maybe I would do that if that were a person. And, and once in a while I get to shoot a statue, which is, which looks a lot like a person. Right. And so that was a little, little, little more difficult for me. Cause like, well, I don't, now I've, now I got to do this. So it was, it was a slightly different process, but it was, it all, it all just boiled down to like, what do I like? And, mm -hmm. you know, pushing myself a, a tiny bit in the direction of my influences of, of, people who I've talked to and people who I've seen their, you know, that see the work of and you know, try to figure out like, what would I, what I do? Not leaning too heavily into it, but like just letting them kind of, Oh, that sounds stupid. Letting them guide me or something. It sounds awful, but you know what I mean? You know, letting, yeah, you know, yeah. kind of letting, letting their spirit possess me. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have a set process. And on the grave sites in particular, I mean, you've often gone through the effort to find out this person's story. I mean, what is that process like? That, that can't be easy. <laughs> well, it's it's either there or it's not. You know, I get home mm -hmm. and I have the names all written down. That's, you know, I have to be very organized when I'm out there. So I write the name down. I also take a cell phone picture of the tombstone. Right. And I get home and there's a couple, a couple of websites that I'll, that I'll look into and I'll see if there's a story there. And sometimes there's an obituary, which helps a little bit. Sometimes I can find news articles on them if they were maybe a little more popular or dastardly. <laughs> right. And I can do that um, because I shoot old gravestones. Finding things on them is a little more difficult. I will sometimes uncover stories about their parents or their children. And so I'll write about those. I took a, like one I posted uh, last week or a couple weeks ago was of this single guy. It was, a, I don't know what he did. Uh, he lived in this, on this one ranch. If it was a rancher or whatever, but he died. And, and I started looking into his, his family and he had 25 brothers and sisters. And that seems like an awful lot of brothers <laughs> and sisters. It does. Well, it was Utah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And uh, it was more than one woman. Not many more, but it was more <laughs> than one woman. And then, I, you know, I looked into their ages and like, oh, this is horrible. This is a horrible, this is a horrible story. Oh, no. And, you know, it, but it, it's, it's a story, you know, so I know I, I enjoy that a lot. That's, I guess that's kind of, um, until something else comes along, it's kind of quenching that that history thirst that I have. Right. You know, these are people who no nobody's like literally nobody's thought of in maybe a century, like not even thought of in a century. Mm -hmm. Everybody they know is dead. 
everybody who knew them is dead. Right. Um, you know, maybe if you're lucky, you know, a family member today will come across a picture in a photo album and, and maybe that photo has an inscription on the back with their actual name rather than just like my grandpa. Right. And which right. happened to me and in July, I went to my, my parents' house and we're looking through old photo albums and I'm like, oh, who's this? And turn it around, just says my grandpa. Where'd this photo come from? Don't know. Who is this person? Well, it's somebody's grandpa. <laughs> Right. No idea. And so their story is lost. Mm -hmm. If there even, maybe there wasn't one, there must be something, but it's, it's neat to, to dig as much as possible and give these people for better or for worse, a, a, a little bit of a voice. Right. You know, it's, it's neat. And then the, the, you know, you go into a cemetery, especially in the 1800s and many of the graves are children mm -hmm. and it become really a lot easier to detach myself from that. But, you know, you, you see a lot of the, the cemeteries that go to are pioneer cemeteries. And so you see a child who may be a month old, their parents aren't in that cemetery. No, no other brothers and sisters are in that cemetery. No grandparents, nothing. It's just a solitary child. Sometimes they didn't even have a name, just mm. infant. And then the last name, and you look for their parents, like on these websites and stuff, and you can't find them. And so what happened, probably, I mean, there's no way to know, but they lived in this area for a little while. They pioneered the, the area, you know, they, they homesteaded. They had a child, the child died. They moved on with their lives. And they probably came back to visit the grave. Maybe not, who knows? But nobody knows this story now. Nobody knows this child. Nobody, and it, I mean, they're dead. So nobody in the graveyard's gonna, they're, everybody in the graveyard's dead. So not really right. keeping each other company, but it, there's just something a little sad that like, that she doesn't even have a sister there, you know? And you'd think that like, well, you two children dying is really sad. It's like twice as sad, but I don't know me, I, I take a little comfort and like, well, her sister's there with her, even though really? you know, I don't, I don't actually believe that, right? you know? But there's that little sentimental romantic bit that says like, oh, well, you know, the grandmother's there when the grandmother's there and she's watching over. I mean, no, I don't actually believe that, you know, but right. there's that, that little bit of comfort. And so I've come very detached from that, except where you see like entire families, you know, or one that gets me is like, I, I saw in, uh, on, the, on my travels this past, you know, in past July, two children, the same mother, and then another child, a third child, and then the mother both dying on the same day. And uh, like, I can't, I can't imagine like the husband, mm -hmm. like, what was that? Like, how do you, how do you, you know, I don't know how many other children he had, you know, maybe he had a lot, I don't know. But how do you lose two children very young and then mm -hmm. lose your wife and another child at the same time. How do you survive that? How do you go on from there? And I don't know. I have no idea. I have no, I don't know. I don't know. It's beyond me. They, I don't think they were made of stronger stuff or anything that I think if it happened today, we could persevere. You know, we're at right. mammals. We, we adapt, but I can't imagine that pain, you know, and it's hard to even photograph that because I feel almost like, I feel almost a little exploitative 
you know, that, right. that like, oh, this will get them because, you know, this is a child's grave, you know, this will be sad. This will get the likes or whatever. And, you know, so I, I, I do shoot, I do photograph the children's graves, but it's, it's, there's always a little bit of like, this seems a little, a little gross. No, but I, I do appreciate the perspective that it is giving them a little bit of a, a voice, yeah. you know, in, in this modern world, I think, I, you know, even though I feel like once we're gone, we probably don't care. <laughs> no. But while we're still here, we would like to think that people will remember us, that we made some difference while we were here. It would be nice, made... but I mean, like ultimately, you know, I know that after I die and then like a hundred years later, I won't, there's nobody will remember me. I right. won't, there's not a legacy, you know, that I'll leave, you know, and I, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'll, I'll be dead. I won't care. <laughs> I can't right. care about that. You know, well, so, you know, I guess while you're alive, do, do fun things, do good things, you know, do, do strange things, do beautiful <laughs> things, you know, do things that make people laugh, make people cry in, in a good way, not, not a bad way. Right. You know, make your mark now because nobody's going to remember you when you're dead. You know, after, you know, 50 to 100 years or after you die, you're that's it. Right. It sucks. It sucks. <laughs> you know, because we're very egocentric. If we want we want our legacy to go on and on. And for some people it will, you know, but for, for most of us, it won't. Right. And we need to be OK with that because that's just facts. So very true. I'm a downer. <laughs> No, I was just about to say that that, you know, encouraging people to do good things, do beautiful things, make an impact. I think, you know, that's probably the best advice I could think of to kind of wrap up on, Eric. I, I sure do appreciate your time and, and sharing all well, of your stories. Thank you. I, I had a good time. I had a good time. Yeah. It was it was this is the first time on mic since uh, the uh, the end of the podcast. And it was neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's neat. Well, we'll certainly hope it's not the last time we ever hear you on a mic. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully not. <laughs> we'll see if <laughs> anybody wants to take that, that take that adventure with me again. <laughs> In the meantime, how can people follow along and see what you've been up to photographically? Well, hopefully they won't. But uh, <laughs> no, um, it uh, conspiracy dot of dot cartographers on Instagram. That's really the only place I exist. I have a, an account on Flickr, but nobody lives there. Um, I do post there every day, though. And um, there is a link to your shop. Yes. On your Instagram. There is the link in the bio goes to my uh, shop where you can buy all the zines. And that goes to paying for film, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great that it can help sustain. Oh, it's a sustain. It, it, it sustains itself. <laughs> it chips away at the at the credit card bill of film. There you go. <laughs> All right, Eric. Well, this has been great. I yes. really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thanks again to Eric for sharing his insights into music and photography. As someone who enjoys music, photography, and podcasts, I've always appreciated his approach and perspectives. There are links in the show notes to some of the various things we discussed during the chat. 
Our theme song, Timeless, is courtesy of Mike Gutterman at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. Mike has a variety of music available to help support your creative output or just to listen to while out photographing or developing or scanning or running. You can get in touch with Sunny16 at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.